listening to a Called Collective podcast, where we seek to equip the next generation of ministry leaders. The Called Collective produces multiple podcasts, which you can find in the description below. To learn more about The Called Collective, visit our website at thecalledcollective.org or check us out on Instagram at The Called Collective. Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where we uh, study a scripture passage, usually drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope it'll be enjoyable and uh, edifying for all, but especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are preparing sermons or lessons. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm professor of New Testament and of spiritual formation at Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And my guest this week is Sarah Colson. Dirk, Sarah's been on the show a few times before over the years. So glad to have her back after a little bit of time. And she's a uh, Bible scholar, has specialization in the Old Testament, but is a, a solid uh, teacher and preacher of both Testaments of Scripture. You can find uh, her various writings uh, on the internet. And her job, that her day job, though, is both as professor of Bible and as uh, the dean of the faculty at Nazarene Theological Seminary. So we appreciate her leadership there at that seminary. She's a great scholar, great teacher, and I'm so excited to have her back on the show to discuss Matthew 25, uh, verses 31 through 46. Matthew 25, 31 to the end of the passage. If you find yourself enjoying the show today, make sure to press the share button on your podcast player app so that you can pass this on to others so they can enjoy it as well. So thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Sarah. All right, so let's start with Matthew uh, chapter uh, 25, starting at verse 31 to the end of the chapter. If you'd be willing to read, that'd be great. Yes. What version you got out today? Uh, let's see. Oh, I've got the NRSV today. Okay. Yeah. All right. So when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? 
And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go in away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. To you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we uh, give you thanks for uh, sending your son Jesus among us and for his life and his word and his coming uh, reign in glory. And as we begin to meditate on this uh, parable, if I remember correctly, this is the, this is the last parable a full parable story that he tells in the Gospel of Matthew. So we're kind of coming up to this concluding moment. And I I just do ask that your spirit would work in Sarah and I as we exposit the text, uh, as we explore it and see what we notice, and as well as in the hearts and minds of all those listening in, that they would uh, they would maybe see or hear something they haven't seen or heard before or as well as have confirmed things that, that they've understood that were, were uh, faithful. But the things that we've uh, carried, assumptions we've carried into a, into a story like this that, uh, that need corrected or um, nuanced in some way, Lord, not in our own power, but by your Spirit, guide us into all truth. So we ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so what uh what do you notice in this passage as you read it afresh today? Well, my goodness. Um <laughs> sheep and goats, that's such an evocative image, but before we even get there, I'm struck today by this vision of Christ on the throne. Mm. And as we do come to this end of his final discourse in the Gospel of Matthew and we're about to move into uh the final stages of the passion narrative and I just uh, I'm just humbled and I'm just in awe by thinking about Christ on the throne in all his glory, surrounded by his angels. Uh, there's a very high Christology on display in ah, this yeah. passage. Uh, so I just keep picking up on, you know, words like son of man, throne of his glory, Lord, King, et cetera, et cetera. You know, this is Christ owning his deity. Uh, yeah, as he tells as he tells the story and, and really revealing it in a pretty straightforward way. Yeah, I'm teaching the ambiguity uh, is all gone. Yeah, <laughs> I'm teaching uh, um, Johannine literature this semester, and there's this tendency to kind of lump all the synoptics together as kind of yeah preaching this kind of you know 
low earthly Jesus. And then John comes along mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, there's this heavenly man. Where did he come from? And, <laughs> and of course, that account of John is more complex than that. But we'll set that aside for a moment. The yeah. fact of the matter is, if all yeah. we had was the three synoptic gospels, I think, I mean, maybe things would have been articulated differently. Surely certain language would not have become... Yeah. Uh, as doctrinaire, you know, language of incarnation, mm-hmm, language mm-hmm. of only begotten son. Some of the lingo from John has been determinative, but the high Christology is, is as explicit as it can be throughout Matthew, Matthew 11 yeah. and passages like these. Yeah. So I, I think you're, I mean, again, he's speaking in the third person, so I suppose, but it's, it's still pretty, yeah. you know, when you combine that with other <laughs> indications, it's pretty clear. Yeah. As well as the final, yes, you and- know, the final great commission in 28. Like you have a pretty, pretty Absolutely. high Christology in Matthew, and I appreciate yeah. you highlighting that. Yeah, I'm wondering in this case, as a, I'm wondering, I mean, you, you can't do the kind of like uh, attention to editorial work that happens when you have another version in front of you, like from Mark or Luke. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a this is a Matthew only mm-hmm. parable. That's but right. I can. Um, there are little things where that are, that strike me as interesting or mm-hmm. odd the mm-hmm. the introduction of related to what you just highlighted the the move in for 34 then the mm-hmm. king will say all of a sudden this king shows up out yeah. of nowhere now we assume you know yeah. the son of man is the king in all his glory and you have a throne and so i'm not saying it's not coherent mm-hmm. but there is a little part of me that because there is a pattern in in matthew and luke both where they you know you can watch them make these little it's what the it's what synoptic problem people call editorial fatigue right where where you you noticed mm-hmm. a lot more changes on the front end of a story than on the back end right um, yes yeah and so cuz sheep and goats is 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 an image a boctive image like you said it's it's like a, yeah. there's some kind of parable here but it's not just this isn't like some of the other parables where he says the kingdom yeah, of heaven is like he it's tells not a story the kingdom of heaven is like no uh-uh, this it's, is it's, the son of man Yes, it's usually classified uh, less along the lines of parable and more along the lines of apocalyptic vision or drama. Yeah, okay. Um, an apocalypse drama. And so this is this is not the kingdom of heaven is. This is a little bit more explicit than that, although it's not introduced by vision uh, visionary right. formulas of any kind. But yeah, so we, we go from the talent of uh, the parable of the ten talents into an apocalypse. Yeah, uh, so there's this drama. And yeah, I guess I did speak of it mistakenly as parable because sheep and goats is how it's referred to as, and it often gets referred to as the yeah. parable of the sheep and goats. But yeah. really, sheep and yeah. goats is the only thing that is parabolic in the whole thing, right? It's, it works as a straightforward only in apocalyptic. Those two verses. I know. That's right. They it's drop only out. In those first two verses. <laughs> It doesn't even out. come around at the end too. So, so are you a sheep or a goat? Like that, it, that connection yep. isn't even made. It even uh, says again, the king will say to those on his left, <laughs> instead so of it's to actually the, the left and right. <laughs> so, yeah, this is why. I mean, I'm not, I'm not hypothesizing any kind of editorial fatigue. I'm more kind of like speculating uh-huh. that, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, mm-hmm. you could time travel and that, you know, if that they're that there may be a more parabolic version of this or a more straightforward apocalyptic mm-hmm. vision of this that were yes. in the air, whether orally or written. Yes. That wouldn't, that yeah. wouldn't mm-hmm. shock me. And no, no. Yeah. Cause yeah, I'm increasingly seeing how the, the sheep and the goats kind of, and you could do a bit, but the King language, which 
you could even do a version of this where, I mean, I could tell a whole parable where just, you know, two, mm-hmm. two sets of, uh, you know, two sets yeah. of ministers come in to their king and, you know, the king right. does this, gives this whole speech, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's, it's really interesting because this is a f- uh, more uh-huh. fleshed out version of chapter 10. So chapter 10 is where the disciples are sent out with authority and they're sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, sheep. Um, yep. And then the the end of the chapter it sounds a lot like this this uh, apocalypse. Who, uh, whoever welcomes me, you welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me yeah. welcomes the one who sent me, et cetera, et cetera. So whoever gives a cup, even a cup of water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple etc. So this seems to be sort of hearkening back to that earlier discourse, but really setting it in the apocalyptic, in, in the parousia, that Christ on his throne is paying attention to how we are treating each other, the needy, and then also how are how we are receiving the gospel messengers. And there's probably some things to talk about there in terms of who and what are the reference of these the the least of these ah. my brothers um but but first i i do think it's fun to talk about the sheep and the goats because it is such an evocative image and it does its job in this passage it does the job of pulling us in um mm-hmm. and helping us ask questions that we can get to in, when we talk about sermons <laughs> yeah so one of these brothers of mine. Sorry, you got me interested. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you, well, what do you want to do? You want to talk about li- like the imagery of sheep and goats, or do you want to talk about those the brothers and least well, of yeah, these let's theme? Go, let's go. Let's go in the order of the passage and talk about okay. the sheep and goats first. There you go. Right. We, we're even. In, we're, okay. we're we're going straight in order. We talked about Son of Man, glory, kind of right out. Okay. Right, good. Right, right. Yeah. So now, is this stock imagery or? What's going on here? Well, it is it is stock imagery in the sense that goats are often associated with sort of wildness. And sometimes you'll see commentators calling them the representation of evil. That's not, I don't think, um, that's not characteristic of biblical use of goat imagery, although it is the case um, in some of Judaism's neighbor religions that okay. goats represent demons, et cetera, et cetera. So, but stock, the, the stock imagery of the, the sheep and the goats, it, it works in the biblical worlds because they are often pastured together. They eat the same foods. They live in the same climates. They need the wandering shepherding care. So they're two, they're separate species, but they often live together. And I think that is important to the meaning of this proclamation. But then I, my question is why, so we just kind of breeze past as uh, the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And I want to pause there and go, wait, why does a shepherd ever need to separate Mm. the sheep from the goats? So maybe a little bit of background material would be useful here. So sheep and goats are often pastured together. Uh, They are both in view when uh, Hebrew or Greek uses the word flocks. They're talking about both at the same time. Uh. They both were legitimate 
options for the sacrificial system, goats, particularly on the Day of Atonement. So it's so that's why I say goats as associated with evil is not doesn't really work. Okay, the biblical texts because they were worthy sacrifices, but sheep are a little bit more expensive than goats uh, to purchase, and so they're a little bit more valuable part of the flock. The reason a shepherd would need to separate them is what happened depending on the the neighborhood or depending on the context of the flock where they're actually living most nights because goats prefer they, they don't have as much fat and wool as sheep and so they often prefer to shelter underneath a structure of some kind to keep warm especially in the cold desert nights whereas sheep prefer an open air pen so at night okay. when the flock settles in for the night, you will often see shepherds settling them in separate locations for the night. But then twice a year, you have to separate them for the shearing because they have different hair. So sheep have wool and that goes for making clothing, but goats have hair and that goes for making tents and the coarser kinds of utilitarian cloth like mm-hmm. sacks. And, uh, and would those shearings and so- be at the same time or would they... Be at different times. Yeah, mo- yeah, most likely because you want the flock in the same location, whichever species you're working with. But you so would do them on def- uh, different days. But you need to keep the product of them. the shearing separate. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. So you want to keep the white wool from the mostly black or darker goat hair. Are um, there any clues here? I mean, sorry to cut you off, but maybe you want to finish that thought. No. Well, are there any clues here as to whether this is more of a shearing imagery or a down for the night kind of imagery? <laughs> I mean, you probably don't have to decide, but <laughs> no, there really isn't. Uh, there really isn't um, enough to work with there, and that's why it's yeah. fascinating to me because it's just kind of thrown out in passing, as though the listening audience will catch all the connotations that are intended, mm-hmm. and then moved on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in I some don't sense, think you could say that suggests... thirty-two and thirty-three are like a little mini, mini parable inside of this. Mm-hmm. Apocalyptic within the apocalypse, yeah, yeah, yeah. more like the way a, a yeah. parable function often in in like the Gospel of John, mm-hmm. where they'll just be a quick aside, yeah, and then they'll and your yeah. mind is filling it in, but actually, you know, like like the vine yeah. drops out. You know, we always think of the true vine right. as taking up half of chapter fifteen, but it actually drops out. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's right. <laughs> you know, pretty early. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, but your mind is still kind of so, plugging it in. We're, we're picturing mm-hmm. sheep and goats mm-hmm. all along the way, but actually the, the language right. is dropped. Um, yeah, it's dropped. The other thing it does for us is, it, well, the other thing it did for earlier audiences was the connection of the shepherd with kingship. Is That's not quite intuitive to most modern readers, but the shepherd was a regular common metaphor for kingship. Okay. So when Christ is sitting on the throne in all his glory and then as a shepherd separates, oh, well, that's a perfect connection. It's cohesive for ancient audiences. Gotcha. And that's because kings that's are shepherds. across the board in ancient world, not just yeah. a Jewish yeah. theme. Yeah, across the bo- Yeah, right. I've, I've no, noticed the Hebrew to word a, to shepherd um, is often translated as to govern, <laughs> right? Like it's yes. almost, yes, it is. it's almost the code word for governing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it is. You used to hear in a, Previous generations, uh, late 20th century, you used to hear people talking about a particular species of goat that are nearly indistinguishable from sheep. 
And so, and that those two species do are common in the Levant. So Israel, Judah, etc., Judea, Palestine. But uh, there's not enough information about whether they were the go-to species. But the, the impact of that would have been only the shepherd could tell the difference. Oh. The animal in front of him, was it the sheep or the goat? And when you see these side by side, they, it is really difficult to tell until you get up close and feel the hair. <laughs> huh. And then you can tell whether it's hair or wool. So that used to be uh, trumpeted a lot about the the meaning of that being that only the shepherd can discern. And I think that does fit the context of the passage because judgment is at its foundation, all about the ability to discern what's real. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and the consequences are the latter half of the judgment activity, but the the primary role of the judge is the one who can tell what's really going on. So that, that little bit about like the, these two species that are so hard to tell apart, uh, it's not entirely universal across uh, shepherding societies in this region, but it is a, an interesting thought. <laughs> Sounds like that'd be like a, one of those, something suggestive yeah. rather than something determinative for understanding yes, the passage. Yes, exactly. You wouldn't want to yeah. make a mountain yeah. out of that molehill. No, you wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Can't build the whole, because uh, honestly, the, the, the theme of can't tell them apart until later, you, there are other parables where you get that message. Yep. You know, that's right. The because, wheat and the tares, for instance. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas here, it seems like what, at least what stands out to me, and maybe I'll drop this in, we'll take a break and come back and pick up there or wherever we want. But it strikes me that what's unique here to so many of these apocalyptic stories that Jesus tells in Matthew, what, one of the things that stands out here is the surprise on yes. behalf of the sheep and the goats. They're surprised. <laughs> Which one they're they are. They're both surprised. They're both <laughs> surprised. Right. They're both surprised. I would love to come back to that if you're willing after the okay. break. Is that cool? Yes. Absolutely. Right. I had a, a note about that too. <laughs> okay. Well, let's take a quick break and, and then come back and explore that some more. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, uh, Sarah Colson-Dirk, and we're looking at uh, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, often referred to as the sheep and the goats, or we could call it the son of man comes in his glory, would be an alternative uh, title yes. to the story. <laughs> with a uh, That's right. Who is the star of this particular story, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So this element of surprise that I mentioned before the break, that is not new in Matthew when it comes to the goats, as it were, right? So I was thinking about yeah, Matthew right. 7, you know, when they, oh, yeah. if you say, Lord, Lord, same language here, courier, oh, courier. Lord, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But if you, you know, if you, if you've not kept my commandments, then I'll say I never knew you. And, and, and it pops up a couple mm-hmm. other times after that. So that is a mm-hmm. strong theme. I think in Jesus' teaching in general, but specifically in Matthew, it really comes out in Matthew. Yes. And yes. so that part's not, that element of surprise it seems to be just fulfilling a theme that we've seen all along. In some ways, this mm-hmm. is our kind of last 
spike that makes that really strong. But yes. but the surprise yeah. of the sheep is what is bizarre to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe they know they're sheep, but they're they're like right. I guess the assumption is they all think they're sheep, right? But uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, they're well, called I, sheep and goats, so that doesn't work. Yeah, that, it's kind of strange. Mm -mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's what's so fascinating to me is that um, this parable seems to be really drilling down on the solidarity of Christ with yeah. the least of these, with the lowly, with the needy, and there's something surprising about that. Whether you regularly pay attention and try to act charitably or whether you never even think to stop and help a, a needy neighbor. So uh, that's, I think for me, that's the impact of this surprise mm -hmm. in this story is that Christ is so deeply identified with all of these categories of neediness that it is surprising even to the sheep who are trying to tend to the needs of their neighbors. Yeah. Uh, that even in that regular activity, they fail to plumb the depths of Christ's own suffering. And that's where the, the contrast is. It's, it's subtle, I think, but very intentional in this apocalypse that the, the son of man on his throne of glory is ah, also to be found in yes. prison. Yes. Is also to be found on the sickbed. Uh, and, and that's actually really important because some readings of this passage uh, seem to read it as just a general sort of uh, urging towards generic humanity, nothing mm -mm. particular Christian about this approach to our neighbors in need that even the and and you'll even hear it preached sometimes uh, uh, in the direction of a universalism that anyone who does this good because they are serving Christ intentionally or unintentionally is going to make it into heaven. But that ignores the Christological setting of the entire yeah. thing, which is the Lord on his throne, <laughs> the king on his throne in glory. So uh, it's only it's only Christ incarnated in the vulnerable humanity who can ascend the throne here and then has the, the discernment to judge between the sheep and the goats. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely essential that, yeah, it's not a, I'm mean, even if some of the, the morality here has its parallels, the, mm -hmm. yeah, the mm -hmm. setting and the center of it is otherwise. And you're right. It's, it's weirdly, of course, when you say they, even the sheep failed to plumb the depths of Christ's presence with, within the least of these, they're not rebuked or punished for that. It's as if mm -mm. like actually caring is more important <laughs> than plumbing the depths. <laughs> than knowing. <laughs> right. Than, than knowing. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And maybe there's a certain, I, I'm thinking of, of another thing Jesus says about the right hand and the left hand not knowing what they're doing. You know, there's a certain sense of <laughs> caring uh, for the least of these insofar as they are the least of these rather than as this kind of like, well, I hope Jesus is hiding in them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the really shallow reading of the, right. the passage about um, in doing so you've entertained un angels unaware, right? Like <laughs> the point is not that you... 
offer hospitality just in case in order to catch an angel. <laughs> Never know, right, right, <laughs> just in right. case, right? It's, no, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's his solidarity and identification, and all of a sudden, it's occurring to me with this, with the finality, not only of the subject matter of this passage, but its location at the end of the the teaching ministry of Jesus, as it were, mm-hmm. that there's a resonance here then with the final thinking of the finality, the final words of Jesus in the book of Matthew, right? And I will be yes. with you all days. I will be with you, yeah. And it's easy to interpret that as, okay, we're going on mission and he's like our power with us, which is also true. I'm not going to deny that, but that is yes. kind of taking yes. a kind of Luke Acts or even Johannine way of thinking mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. If all you had was Matthew in front of you, okay, well, where is he? Where? where? How is he going to be with us? Where is he? He's in the least of these. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful resonance, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So where is that presence going to be? And also, yeah. And I think that is highlighted very subtly because these ways of caring for strangers are common. They're not uniquely Christian, Mm -hmm. except for, so you see these lists of like virtue charity lists, uh, feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, take care of the sick. What's missing from those lists is visit the prisoner. Uh. That That is not a common element in the Jewish lists, in the Greco-Roman lists, in the pagan religions, which all expect their adherents to engage in acts of charity. But this addition of the prison, visit the prisoner, is particularly poignant because Jesus himself is about to be arrested. Ah, yeah. You know, in the next chapter. (laughs) Right. They conspire to arrest him. So then that really, to me, really draws the connection to where will we find Christ? We will find Christ. Yes, in the the kinds of ways that we mean uh, spiritually present, but also physically present in the needy. Yeah, the in-prison... So if that one's unique, it makes me want to take a look at the verb for a moment. I was in prison and you, yeah, you came to me, you visited me. Yeah. Interesting. Because the sick, Which you were sick and you took care of me. Which that verb has a parallel in Hebrew is the pakad. And the, the visitor, the one who visits, pakads someone in need, is uh, the one who comes to bring provision. God visits his people with conviction. God visits his people with um, encouragement. God visits several women <laughs> and they become mm-hmm. pregnant. Uh, yeah. So pakad is a really, really uh, robust verb. It's not just, oh, I happened to stop by. No, you're coming on a mission. Yeah, and that, that visitation visit. theme, I, I remember it in just because you talked about mm-hmm. women and <laughs> getting pregnant. Because that visitation... <laughs> phrase is, uh, I think it's in Mary's Magnificat. Um, yes, it or, is. Yeah. So that, that notion of sort of entering in, not just, you know, Hey, what's mm-hmm. up? But really that, that, yeah. that genuine, <laughs> that intervention, that, uh, advocacy yeah. is, is implied in yeah. some of this, uh, yeah. this meeting with those in prison. Yes. And in Roman prisons, no prison warden was obligated to provide food or clothing. 
And so some did because they were using the prisoners as, as laborers and they, so they would give them a minimal amount of food to keep them working. But the, uh, the expectation was that the prisoners own family would come and supply them in order to keep them healthy. So this is why early Christians gained such a reputation in prison ministry because uh, they are sending supplies on a regular basis into local prisons. Well, in that's interesting. You mentioned the family make up the lack. Yeah, it's mentioned. You mentioned family for two reasons. One, looking back to your mention that that's not always on the lists in mm-hmm. in other texts, and perhaps because there's an element of I don't know shame perhaps a visitation, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I mean, the, yeah. there's might be just a reason to kind of, even the family might, you know, do the mm-hmm. bare minimum or start to ignore or forget the prisoner <laughs> right. family. Right. Right. Yeah. But then that family thing brings in the language here because it is, you mentioned already in yes. verse 40, one of the least of these of my brothers, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting language. I'm not trying to like yeah. restrict this and say, oh, you only have to visit Christians in prison. I mean, that's not, I don't think that's what the text is going towards, no, but there is something to this, pay attention to this, there. Yeah. Yeah. This verse has raised questions for many folks about who exactly are the least of these. Are we talking about just generally any person in any one of these categories of need, whether they're a believer or not, or... And within the broader context of the Gospel of Matthew, some scholars suggest that this, the least of these, is the parallel to the disciples. So is Jesus actually pointing not to just how we care for the needy, but to how we receive the gospel messengers? How will Uh his brothers, the disciples and apostles, be received? We know that many of them end up in prison uh, for their activity, but it's, is it, only about caring for physical needs wherever we find them, or are is this a more focused description that is essentially saying you're either a sheep or a goat depending on how you receive the gospel and the minister or messenger okay. who brings it to you? And that was the standard interpretation for centuries, that this is not about just basic human need, that it's right. about the reception of the gospel and gospel workers. And I think that there is some uh, resonance throughout the passage here, with especially the language of the least of these and and my brothers. And the connection Because the to least of these 10. is parallel to yeah. the little ones in chapter 10. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Where he's talking not about the children, he's talking about his disciples as little ones. So where where it sounds like you're kind of saying there's there's a case to be made for that, and maybe there's been an overcorrection mm-hmm. into a kind of universalistic mm-hmm. humanitarian yeah. reading hum- of the passage. Humanitarian, yeah. So, yeah. which you want to correct yeah. Christologically, but I don't. I, I'm. I mean, I, I, I've known you a long time, but I, I can't read your mind. Like, I'm kind of hearing you say, but you're not totally on board with that older reading either, or are you? I'm just trying uh, to tell. I think, well, I think the older reading. Uh, about this being the reception of the gospel is very appealing to me because it makes a lot of sense of the trajectory of the gospel of Matthew itself. We're going to move here into the commissioning of the apostles. And so within the context of the gospel it's contained in, that does make the most sense to me. 
Uh, but I also think that a text can urge multiple things upon its readers. Sure. And so I think it is also incumbent upon those who would want to be found among the sheep <laughs> to look for Jesus in among the least of all humanity, not only um, disciples who are uh, engaged in missionary service. Okay. So it makes makes maybe slightly more literary or significantly more mm-hmm. literary sense to see mm-hmm. this in that missiological context, chapter 10, mm-hmm. chapter 18 mm-hmm. to some extent, chapter 28 that's to mm-hmm. come. Mm-hmm. And then for the for the for the the way that it's inside the narrative, then this this story functions as a reassurance to the disciples to say, Yes, I'm about to send you out, but don't worry, I'm on your side. Right? Mm-hmm. At the end, when yeah. I come back. Those who took care of you, <laughs> I'm going to, right? It's a little, right. and it, which fits a little, maybe That's John right. 16, right? That's the way it works. Well, in and the, it's very Matthewian if you're thinking yeah. about Matthew as a Jewish gospel and the, the idea of the promise to Abraham being that the nations that bless you, I will bless. Mm. And those that curse you, I will curse. It's a very subtle connection, but it makes total sense within the Jewish context of Matthew's gospel. I also think that this reading of um, thinking about it more along the lines of the missionary project is is a little bit it it is slightly easier to keep the Christology in mm. place there as as the context of this story. Um, I just can't read this story and walk away with any reading that says. Any human being, no matter their religious path and convictions, will find their way into the kingdom of heaven because they're engaged in charitable activity. I also don't want to go so strict to say that it's not possible because there, there, there is this idea within Christian tradition that all good is done in the name of Christ. And the element of surprise— and the point of this- <laughs> <laughs> suggests and the element something. of surprise yeah. <laughs> is really critical here. It does. And so I think that that it's not even though the tight the categories at the end of the judgment are very tidy and supposedly straightforward, it leaves the reader with an an unresolved question. So which am I? And that question is, I think, the primary intention of this text to cause us to wonder what is. Christ on his throne discerning about us in his judgment. Are we welcoming the gospel? Are we meeting the needs of Christ in solidarity with the poor or not? As you did to them. Wow. Okay. Yeah. This is really good. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I think we need to take a break soon and, and then explore some sermon starters, but I can imagine this. This interpretive question might have, might need to be made explicit in one's, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you make, you, sometimes you, sometimes you take an angle and then you develop your sermon mm-hmm. with that angle. Sometimes you got to bring the tension, you know, the, 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 the tension into the sermon and it, that, that's a judgment call case yeah. to case, but yeah, sure. at least sure. for me today, I'm feeling like, Ooh, I feel like that that tension's actually kind of important, you know? I don't know. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I even wonder about maybe preaching this two Sundays in a row and yeah, diving yeah, into the, <laughs> diving into them differently in different weeks. <laughs> wow. 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 Cause you could have 
almost, I mean, we put it as a binary, but you could almost have kind of, kind of, I'm, I'm seeing almost four interpretations. I'm so sorry. But the, the, okay. nar- the, the narrowest one would be, um, the narrowest one would be to the, the, the receptivity and the care directed towards the apostles mm-hmm. and towards the, the movement of the mm-hmm. mission, right? Mm-hmm. The, so, mm-hmm. and then the second step down could be kind of uh, f- what Christians owe to all other Christians, right? If least of these is, yes. you know, those who are suffering right. among yeah. our family, right? <laughs> That's and right. And then mm-hmm. next layer mm-hmm. down would be what Christians are obliged to do for all who for suffer. anyone in need. Christian right? or not. Yep. And then... <laughs> Level four would be this is what all what humans all are obliged to and will be re- will be rewarded, and there, there's an element That's of truth right. I think yeah. in all yeah. four, uh, you know. And so, uh, yes, absolutely, yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh man, this this got this got juicy. <laughs> <laughs> well, but isn't that typically biblical? That I'm thinking here of you know, if you who are good will give bread to your son, how much more? It's yeah. the how much more I think dynamic at work here that that just keeps pulling me in further and further yeah that's good huh yeah that's real good well let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest uh, Sarah Colson Dirk and we are looking at Matthew 25. Uh, verses 31 to uh, 46. And so let's explore some sermon starters. And on the break, uh, you and I were chatting a little bit about kind of where to put the emphasis. Now, because this is a sort of eschatological subject matter Mm -hmm. with an apocalyptic genre, I've always found this to be, again, this this supports the the apostolic focus of the reading because it's very reassuring if you're one of the least of these who's Jesus has got your back and the back of anyone who has your back. Um, But I always remember growing up finding this sermon to be actually a little, this passage to be a little intimidating. Like, have I done enough? Oh, yeah. You know, and so this language of of a final separation into, (laughs) right, into... I just heard a, mm-hmm. like, why, what Mandy was telling me about, uh, she must have seen it as a meme or something somewhere, but there's somebody talking about those, uh, you know, those, those, those like uh, Halloween, like you, you'll, if you die, you go to hell, like, like, uh, uh, oh yeah, like alternative Halloween activities where you do like a, like a yes. haunted house that's like, <laughs> here's what'll happen if you don't accept Jesus. And it's scare you into salvation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Mandy was yeah. saying like, yeah. Uh, churches were asking back in the eighties, uh, you know, what will, what will really scare people? Oh, let's show them our theology. That'll really scare them. <laughs> let's tell them what we actually believe. Yes. Nothing scarier than that. Yeah. But oh, I mean, there is goodness. a kind of, Oh my goodness. That's right. Yeah. That element of threat is, is, yeah. is explicit here in the last line. And, and I can't yes. help but wonder how does that fit into how one, communicates the good news mm-hmm. of this passage. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a couple of things stand out to me there. First of all, because this is within an apocalyptic text, we are dealing with uh, 
very vivid imagery, which we've already talked a little bit about, and hyperbolic contrasts. So the point of any judgment passage is to draw lines very hard and fast and to portray them in particularly vivid contrast. So when we read phrases like eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, first of all, let's just notice (laughs) that eternal fire is for the devil and his angels. Uh. And whatever happens to the goats, it's not repeated as fire. It's Mm. eternal punishment is this particular translation. It can also be uh, translated as correction or discipline. The separation is the key separate from God here. Uh. So eternal separation from God is what the human (laughs) uh, who is not under the lordship of Christ experiences. So that's really important, I think. It's important to recognize that these are hyperbolic. They are vivid in contrast on purpose because of the form of literature that we're dealing with. And then also, uh, yeah, I think what you said about this drive to to be constantly asking, am I doing enough? Um, I mean, there are very few places in scripture, and this is one of them, where we are told supposedly exactly what to do. And to whom to do it. And Mm. so we could treat these virtue lists or these charity lists as our checklist. Um, But that would be a reduction of the meaning of this passage. Yeah. It is not enough only to feed someone who is hungry. We must do that in a spirit of service and ministry to the king on his throne. Uh. And I mean, we would kind of laugh at someone who said, well, as long as I am doing only food service and prison ministry and giving away clothes. In other words, this these are representative actions. They are not the sum total of righteousness. Okay. Um, so that's really important as a way of not overreading the literary devices at work in this passage. Yeah. Oh, that's we don't want to absolutize them to the point that a local church sees themselves as successful as long as they have a food pantry, a clothing exchange, and a prison ministry, etc. Yeah, I'm remembering the some of Jesus' uh, critiques of other rabbis of his time as you, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, yes. right? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Yes. This kind of, yeah. it would fit the teaching of Jesus to say, to not say, you know, the law is not important just as long as you take care of the least, right? He's saying, you're, you've yeah. got your priorities wrong. You're focused on this purity code mm-hmm. as if that's the weight, yeah. right? When in fact, right. he's, embra- he's, he's speaking for the pro- whole prophetic tradition the weightiest matters yeah. are the yeah. the humility and justice and love that's owed uh, to one another and to the least and to the sojourner in our land. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's that's very helpful. That's very helpful. Um, I think that I mean we we can pitch some ways you might approach this in a sermon, but I think those general <laughs> uh, principles are the most helpful thing to put before mm-hmm. people. Um, but if you were preaching on this, have you ever preached on this text? You preach a sermon on it? I have not. Yeah, I have neither, not ever I preached on this text. Either. But I'm, I'm, 
I'm sure I'd do something cheesy with a sheep and a goat. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I was thinking of a story. I was I, this came to mind earlier when we were talking. When I back to the the thing about the way that sheep and goats are together, I feel like that's that helps to fill out the imagery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the shepherd connection that you mentioned to royalty and all that. Mm-hmm. That's all really powerful. I'm remembering how when I was a freshman in college, somewhere, and I knew this because we had a sheep and we had a little sheep and a little goat when I was in high school. So I, I don't know how I got this in my head. I was in a conversation and said, freshman college here. So Sarah, you'd have been mm-hmm. a sophomore or junior. You a were sophomore. Okay. Yeah. You were at, yeah. you were a RA or ARD over in Shafford. I was over in uh-huh. Bowman. Yeah. And I had said in uh, that to someone that goats were male sheep. Like I thought that sheep and goats oh. were boys and girls. Now what, now what that implies about my kind of understanding of sin and, and righteousness is interesting. And f- oh this boy. is the, this is the extra fun part that will only be fun for you and me and maybe six listeners. It was in the hearing of Randy doing <laughs> who, who, who brought a sheep to college. Right. One year. Who is a shepherd. And, He's a shepherd, that's right. And a fellow know-it-all like me. And so he went out to correct me. And I held, I stuck to my gun, shocker, right? Uh, oh, John. <laughs> but was, I mean, I was I was corrected quick enough. Our but, youth. Oh, yes, I know, sins yeah, of the yeah. youth. But <laughs> whether I'd tell a story like yeah. that in a sermon or not, the, the point is, is this, this, but this notion that sheep and goats go together and to dispel any notion of mm-hmm. goat, because the goat has become a symbol of kind okay. of satanic imagery um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but to recognize that that no this they flock together and that picks up on other themes yes. in these parables wheat and tares and all that that it's a mixed yes. body right yeah and right. it's probably assuming this is one f- flock um who are doing all the other things right they're saying lord lord they're worshiping me they're following right. me they're right. they're yeah. they're pursuing piety. They're pursuing righteousness. They're proclaiming mm-hmm. the gospel, even mm-hmm. right. But there's this yeah. some there's yeah. this crucial thing missing, and it's almost oh, like boy. final instructions yeah. before he departs. Don't forget the least. <laughs> that is the number one priority. I know, right? That's right. Uh, yeah, and I I kind of am struck by this phrase: uh, Am I the sheep, or am I the goat, or am I trying to be the king? Ooh, the shepherd. Like you know, I. <laughs> Like, am I trying to discern other people's faith and Ooh. categorize them? Or am I just going to concentrate on my own followership? Wow. Goodness. That, That's really that good. That really gets to me. <laughs> That'll preach. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. No, you, oh, man, that, mm. that, that cuts to the heart, especially when you do engage in shepherding work which is yes. the pastor is yes, just indeed. another word for shepherd i mean to be tempted that's into right. that it is. It, that's right yeah yeah because uh, i am confident that there are going to be people on the right hand of christ that i don't think belong there and i am confident that some folks i deeply love and think should be entered uh, invited into the kingdom are not and that surprise just leads me to humility. And mm. then, you know, the end of this sermon, in terms of the end and the means, the end of this sermon is humility. Uh, because humility is where we find ourselves 
in solidarity with the Christ who aligns himself with the least of these. Whether that's the vulnerable preachers of the gospel and the 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 gospel itself, which is foolishness to the world. Yeah. Or whether it's actual humans in great need. Yeah, boy, a sermon. Yeah, so a, I w- <coughs> Yeah, a sermon that focuses on <laughs> humility would be a nice kind of twist because it's such a kind of yeah. get into heaven, get out of hell kind of framing is so natural to kind of really push yeah. us into that. And especially I'm thinking of making a connection between this and Philippians 2, which of course I love Philippians 2, yes. but one possible yes. misappropriation of Philippians 2 would be, look, he humbled himself for a while and then he gets to be awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and and that's the same deal for you, right? Humble now, exalted later. Yeah. And that's not wrong, but it's it's Mm-mm. not the whole, what's wrong about that is that it's half half the story. It's half true which means half it's false. Insufficient. That's right. right. And so this yes, is a nice yeah. little way of kind of, it's almost a perfect way to, you know, you could almost introduce that in to mm-hmm. say, here he is, the son of man who's mm-hmm. been exalted mm-hmm. and the name yeah. that is above every name. And at, at that yeah. name, yeah. all are bowing. Yeah. And yet he says, mm-hmm. who am I? I'm the least of these. That's always mm-hmm. who I am. Even, yeah even after my resurrection ascension, even at my second coming, you know, who yes. the one I identify myself with is the least. Mm-hmm. Um, now, mm-hmm. even still on the throne, I am yeah. among the least. Yeah. They are mine they, and I'm theirs. So maybe a really powerful um, part of the sermon time could be um, prepared testimonies or answers you know, one sentence answers to the question, where have you seen Christ as you've Uh, served from folks in the congregation who are engaged in ministry to the unhoused or the incarcerated or um, folks who spend time in healthcare, just brief testimonies about how folks meet Christ in that work through the, the humans they are serving and ministering to. And, and uh, just because I have to throw this in here, it's fascinating to me that uh the let's see where is it oh in verse 44 the verb is diacone minister Mm. (laughs) so when we're talking about ministering to christ that brings it all together to to me um that's the way to yeah so d yeah the diaconate is a kind of way to sum up all mm -hmm. of those verbs you know yeah yeah, yeah. Gave gave food, gave drink, welcomed me, mm-hmm. uh, gave clothing, took care of me, visited me. How would you sum all that up in one concept? It would be, you know, deacon, right? The diaconate, yeah. ministry, yeah, right. service. <laughs> That's, That's right. so good. That's, right, yeah. That's I missed that. That's great. And that would so we're talking, you know, just like you could speak of the you know, the apostolic meaning of this passage we also mm-hmm. talk about the diaconal meaning and and i think really yeah and this is when the checklist is helpful to actually kind of think of yes these would be what you'd want to highlight right. what's already happening that's right right and, and xenos as stranger could be translated as immigrants so how is one absolutely you know helping those who are yeah so th- this is Welcoming, good this is good yeah, yeah. 
So kind of thinking through those key elements, I think that'd be really good. And, mm-hmm. and you could even do it as a question. You could do the ask, you could ask the question from just cause it's got a nice ring to it. The phrasing, uh, Bonhoeffer uses that phrase, who is Jesus Christ for us today? That's the phrase that he yes. always asks. Yes. And yeah. that, yeah. that could work really well. You know, who is Jesus Christ for us today? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you could ask that and have that be answered in these, you know, four, yeah. four, five, six different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then let's, and let's people know, Hey, those are the people to connect with, you know? And if you realize as you're, that's if, right. If you realize that if there aren't <laughs> ministries you're partnering with in these areas, then you need to ask, oops, maybe we need to start. And you could do that as a preacher. Mm-hmm. You could say, mm-hmm. you know what? We don't do anything yeah. with prisons and guess what? We're going to start. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. Right. That's, that's, <laughs> that's fine. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Your own conviction Absolutely. is often the most powerful thing that can come forth That's in a sermon. Right. Is how how have I been convicted That's by right. this word? Let me share that with you, and let's journey mm-hmm. with it together. Mm-hmm. That itself is yeah. an act of yeah. humility. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, anything you want to slip in before the uh, before the bell? <laughs> we should wrap up now, but uh, we got time. Well, you... one last para- Do it. Yeah. <laughs> one last paradox, and I think that is just that this passage is the other side of the equation for the image that we use sometimes so glibly about uh, the church being the hands and feet of Christ in ministry to the world. Mm. But this passage suggests that in serving, we are also receiving Christ. And so it's the paradox of hospitality that is so rich and uh, that could probably spin off a whole sermon series. Mm. (laughs) Uh, I can think of lots of different directions, but I think that's why humility is really the the note that this passage rings for me. Yeah, because you're right. This is not a this is not a passage about bringing Jesus to the to the world. It's mm-hmm. the world mm-hmm. bringing Jesus to you, finding Jesus in mm-hmm. in the world, mm-hmm. as it were. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But well, again, not in a universalist humanist no, way, right? Because yeah. it's Christ on the throne. <laughs> Actually, even world isn't the right language. It's least. Let's use his language, Mm -hmm. right? It's not. Yeah. Yeah. This is not primarily about bringing Christ to the least. It's encountering Mm -hmm. Christ in the least. In the least. Yeah. And then how we define that least requires some thought, but. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. This is really good. I love interpreting scripture with you. It's been way too long. I'm so glad you're back on. Let's make it more regular. Thanks, John. That's right. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thanks to all our listeners. As always, thanks to uh, the Called Collective team for their production work. We appreciate it so much. Thanks for Todd, Eric, and Tom for helping start this show all those years ago. Can't imagine uh, having started this without you. With that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.